this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. So welcome. I believe we're on episode 22. And I'd like to today talk a little bit about um, some common myths we find being brought up in, the, in cases that I've been working on in family law cases, both myths that are apparently believed by judges, guardian ad litems, perhaps in some cases even um, you know evaluators and others that are involved in these cases. So, of course, we know what the, the definition of parental alienation is, but just for the sake of a quick understanding of everyone, I use a very shorthand version that says that alienation is where a child is rejecting a parent for no justification, without justification. And typically, we're talking about um, persistent, unreasonable, negative feelings and beliefs expressed by a child toward a, a hated, rejected, sometimes, quote, feared parent. And it's typically encouraged by or reinforced by the other parent or the other caregiver. So that's basically the definition of alienation. And we could go on and on and on about different nuances about it, but that's what it is. An estrangement, we distinguish between alienation and estrangement, a stranger is where a child is rejecting a parent for what might be considered valid or good reasons. Valid reasons, not necessarily good reasons. And basically, um, we can have an, an, an in-depth conversation about you know, the frequency of estrangement cases and hybrid cases. Uh, but the bottom line is we make a distinction between parent alienation and estrangement, Okay. So one of the myths that comes up is that um, courts, guardians, attorneys will look at a, at a reject, alienated child and they say, well, he's thriving in other areas, schools, sports, you know, that type of thing. And seems fine and therefore the child doesn't need any kind of interventions. Well, the problem, of course, is that, you know, appearances are never what they appear to be. And um, this is a, a belief that's held by many judges, by many guardians and therapists that, you know, don't rock the boat because the child's doing so well in these other areas. But in the meantime, the child hates a parent, wants that other parent dead, wants to have nothing to do with that parent. And that's not normal behavior. OK, so that's pathological. That's sick. And what that child has come to believe in alienation cases, now I'm not talking about cases where there's genuine abuse, but in alienation cases where it's false beliefs of abuse and neglect projected onto a, a, um, a rejected parent or a targeted parent, okay, that's not a healthy mindset for a child. And so the bottom line is just because a child's doing well in one area uh, doesn't mean that that child is not affected psychologically and ultimately uh, physically by the belief system that that child has 
uh, developed has come to uh, acquire relative to the other parent. And we, we could talk about the whole phenomenon of adverse childhood experiences. But if a child has come to believe that that other parent is a harmful, neglectful, abusive, a substance abuser, a criminal, on and on and on, then that's not a healthy mindset to have relative to a parent, okay? So that's not, that's not good, period. Um, sometimes a myth is where we put it, put, let's just use therapy. And this is sort of like the uh, trump card of, of in the judicial system. Courts don't know what to do. Guardians don't know what to do in these cases. So the knee jerk is, let's go to therapy. And typically what they do is they go to therapy, family therapy. Oh, we'll also find cases where you'll have the one parent, uh, the targeted or rejected parent is going to see a therapist. You'll see the favored uh, alienating parent going to a separate therapist. You'll see the child going to a third therapist. And then we might have a guardian, we might have a parenting coordinator involved, and the child might even have an attorney. So you got all of these players And more often than not, none of them are talking to one another. Or even if they do, it's sort of like a very uncontrolled, uncoordinated kind of a process. Regular therapy, family therapy, individual therapy with a therapist who is not comprehensively trained in the phenomenon of alienation, these therapists inadvertently, not saying it's their fault, but typically that whole process will make the situation worse. It exacerbates the alienation. It's almost universal. I suppose there may be one exception out there that I haven't heard of, but more often than not, regular therapy with these cases absolutely exacerbates the situation and makes it worse. Um, And we could talk about why that happens. We could talk about the kinds of um, clinical errors that a therapist would make uh, in the process of, of taking on a case where they're not familiar with the phenomenon of alienation. Uh, guardian ad litems will typically make the same kinds of mistakes. Of course, they're not doing therapy, but they're making their, 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 their opinions, once expressed to a court, carry a lot of weight. And so guardians really need to be trained to a more uh, extensive level uh, in this area. And just because you've had a lot of experience doing family law cases doesn't mean that you're a, an expert on parental alienation. Another myth that we see is sometimes uh, it's uh, even attorneys that represent the rejected parent might say, well, why don't we sign him up for uh, or her up for supervised visitation? Then this way we have a witness to the interaction and you know, it becomes a valuable uh, uh, asset down the road in terms of evidence. The problem, of course, is what having supervised visitation essentially communicates to the child that, you know, this guy or this woman is so dangerous or so unpredictable, they need to have somebody, an official, watching the interaction. And it all it turns out to be is more of a reinforcement of the allegations against the rejected parent and uh, a validation of the alienating parents' allegations about the um, targeted parent. So it's generally speaking, supervision is not typically a good idea. Analogous to supervision is where we have to uh, tippy-toe and reintroduce the rejected parent to the child over an extended time period. 
We can't do this cold turkey where, you know, start Monday morning and the child starts having access. No, we can't do that. We have to ease it in over the next six months. There is absolutely no research to support that incrementally reintroducing a targeted parent to a child is harmful to the child. And that totally loses sight of at one point in time, that relationship between the rejected parent and the child was one of a loving, caring parent. And it's as if somehow or other we have to gradually reintroduce that parent as if there's some kind of a phobic reaction. And there actually have been professionals who, to, who make reference to alienation being somewhat of a phobic reaction, which is totally absurd. That's not at all what's going on. So this gradual reintroduce, reintroducing the targeted parent in the child is, is um, again, reinforces the idea that we have to really be careful and watch this process real slowly to make sure it's not harmful, like that parent is somehow a danger to that child. Um, the whole idea, another myth, is separating the child from the favorite or alienating parent is going to be traumatizing, which is really interesting because if you think parental alienation is a form of child abuse, what you're doing is you're taking the child away from the abusing parent. And of course, that's never what's portrayed because what's portrayed is the targeted parent is the abusing parent. So therefore, we have to protect the child from that targeted parent. Well, the reality is it's exactly the opposite. And if you look at the guidelines from the APSAC, the American Professional Society on Child Abuse, you'll find that elements of parental alienation are basically the same characteristics of child maltreatment. So you have a parent executing maltreatment, abusive tactics to a child in front of a child and convincing the child that this other parent is dangerous and harmful and a, a criminal and an abuser, when in fact, it, none of that may be true. Again, keep in mind, I'm, ca ca I'm caveating this whole conversation, that we have a severe alienation case and that the targeted parent, their behavior has not risen to a level that would justify the child's rejection. Another myth, and this is a very common one, is that the child is expressing a preference and we should then listen to the child. After all, if we don't listen to the child, the child's going to be upset, they're going to be traumatized, they're going to be anxious about not listening to them. We don't listen to the child when they decide they want to get involved in alcohol or drugs as a minor. We don't do that. We don't say, well, a child wants to get drunk, so we should allow the child to get drunk. The child wants to uh, smoke marijuana. The child wants to try opium or try other type cocaine. We should let the child do it because that's what the child wants. The child wants to quit school, so we should, we should facilitate the child quitting school. How about joining the Army? You know, you have to have parents' permission. Well, I, I suspect used to have it. I hope you still do, to have, have a child join the military, quitting school. Actually, the military doesn't want you more often than not if you quit school. Oh, that's an interesting twist on things. So the whole idea that um, we have to give in to the child because their expression is something that they want to do. They don't want to have a relationship with the parent. They want the other parent to be in jail. That, um, that's not okay. No matter how old the child is, somehow or other it seems like 15, 16, 17-year-olds should be able to make that decision. We don't allow them to make other decisions and rejecting a parent, throwing a parent away, 
is not a decision that should be allowed by a minor. And, and, you know, we talk in terms of the science. We are ignoring the science. We know that the human central nervous system, i.e. the brain, including other parts, doesn't really mature until around the age of 25. We know that in terms of being scientific. And, and we, we, we apply that science to other areas. Um, you can't be a medical doctor when you're 17 years old, no matter how smart you are, no matter how fast you go through a, a program or how, fa- how quickly you can take a test. You can't be a lawyer if you're 17 years old. It seems to me that there's a certain maturity that needs to be accumulating here to allow a child to make rational decisions. So again, going against a child's wishes is, is you know, really a thing that needs to be considered very seriously, uh, and especially when it comes to throwing a parent away. What you're saying, if you're giving that into that child, is you're saying essentially that that child has no need for this other parent. This other parent will play no role, has no contribution to the child's development. Therefore, the child should be allowed to just ignore that parent and throw that parent away. That doesn't make any sense. Both parents are are very much important to the child, regardless of the sex of the child, that, that a child needs its mother, it needs its father. And there are no exceptions to that, unless you're talking about some major personality, some sort of characteristic flaws in the uh, parents, and then in which case you you may not be talking about an alienation case. Um, Another myth is somehow or other, everybody flocks to court, and the court's supposed to make a decision. Judges are no more better off making decisions about children's welfare than any other adult, but they happen to have that job, and so that's what they're doing. Um, hoping a court lectures uh, stiffly to an alienating parent to say, you need to stop this or there's going to be consequences. I'm sorry, but family law cases, family law um, courts are notorious for not having consequences for ignoring court orders, for disobeying a court, for, for doing precisely the opposite of what a judge tells people to do. For some reason, the 21st century is the century of um, considering court orders a suggestion or a recommendation as opposed to an order that one has to follow. Okay, So getting a lecture from a judge, unless the judge is willing to follow through with it, uh, is, is basically worthless. And, um, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. Another myth, and this comes up all the time because an opposing attorney, an attorney representing an alienating parent will say, you know, parent alienation basically is junk science. And this is just an, an ancient argument. There, there are DSM-5 diagnoses now that pretty much cover what we're talking about in terms of parental alienation. no. The words parental alienation are not in the DSM-5, but there are disorders and there are areas of concern presented in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. There are diagnoses that basically cover what we're talking about, and um, it it is a a situation. Dr. William Burnett out of uh, Vanderbilt University talks about this as being a mental condition. And that's pretty much what alienation is. 
So we have a number of uh, interesting players in the field that really need to be trained, guardian ad litems, judges, lawyers, therapists, parenting coordinators need to really get on board with this phenomenon. It is uh, a growing phenomenon in the court system. It's getting recognized with a greater frequency than probably it has ever been before, uh, probably much to the um, angst of people that are trying to uh, do away with the phenomenon. I know in California they're trying to do some crazy things with the laws out there to uh, basically basically just go by the child's wishes. If the child wants to do something, then you should just do it and, and ignore anything else. Ignore the science that says, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to share some of those things with you. And um, I hope you share this with your attorney, your therapist, and uh, check out naopas.com for some training and information. I think we're putting some new ones up um, if not today, this week. So I appreciate your tuning in and um, look forward to sharing some things next time. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. <music>